Well, we are thrilled to have you with us this morning because we have our special guests. In fact, they're, uh, they're not just, fa- uh, just friends, they're family, brothers and sisters in Christ who share. In fact, one of the core values here at, YF, at Ipsy Free is this, and I'll, I'll read the scripture and then I'll relate it, is I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because, why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And partnership is so crucial to us in so many ways. There are places and spaces we can't go. Other people can and are called. They're compelled by the spirit to go. And Thaddeus and Nikki Roller are are one of those partners that we have, and we're grateful to have them with us. And I want to invite, uh, I'm not sure if both or just Thaddeus is coming forward, but I want to invite them up. Uh, just great to have them here. Uh, just a little reminder, if you don't know, they are uh, missionaries to Columbia, and uh, grateful that they've, uh, they've partnered with us, and we're looking forward to the days ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you. You hear me here? There we go. This is so fun. I love, I love being able to worship. I love being able to just be led in worship and then to come up and to turn around and to see all of your faces is also fun. So what a joy. Um, speaking of faces, I just want you to be able to see my wife Nikki is here and she's just going to wave at you uh, this morning. So um, you get a chance to. I, I give her a hand clap every time I see her in the morning too, every time I see her face. I'm just glad she gets those a lot. So uh, you know, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Steve and, and uh, Kathy and the pastoral team. You guys have an incredible pastoral team. This is our first time being here uh, with the Eccles on staff, and we've actually had a friendship. Nikki and Melanie have had quite a bit of contact over the years and have an have a online group together. But uh, can I just say, you have an incredible team here, uh, pastorally. Your worship team is awesome. That's your hint for a hand clap there also, so... <laughs> Uh, uh, but thank you. you. You've really ministered to us just this morning. Like I was, I was just, uh, I was one of the ones raising my hand, you know, just want a fresh work of God in my life uh, this morning and such a, such a joy to be able to say, come Holy Spirit. Um, so we were led in worship. You, uh, you ministered to our hearts. You also put a smile on our on our faces, I got a little giggle because I said, Nikki, look, they've got a cello on stage. And she said, they have jello? And I thought that would be cool. That would be awesome. This is a cello, right? That was really cool. Uh, so you guys, you guys were rocking it up here this morning. Um, so we're excited to talk about the table. And Pastor Steve wrote, uh, and uh, I'm going to go there in, in just a minute. He wrote it. He said, you know, could you talk about hospitality? And so hospitality is this key uh, component for all of the ministry that's happening in, in Latin America uh, through the Free Methodist Church. Um, and I'm going to try to unpack some of that here in a minute. But before we go there, let me just kind of give you some basics about who we are. And so we're, like Pastor Steve said, we're in Colombia um, in South America, uh, just neighboring with, with Venezuela, um, which is important because I'm going to talk about Venezuela later on just a little bit too. But we, we get the chance. We've been there for a year and a half. Uh, in fact, I think we were here um, just before going like two and a half years ago, something like that. And uh, I'll, I'll try to say this later uh, again, but 
But there are, there are two partner churches we have in southern Michigan, and uh, the church Nikki grew up in in Spring Arbor and then Ipsy Free, and we have just felt like you have stood in our corner every step of the way since we've been there. Uh, we felt like you've been praying, that you've, you know, you give towards us, which is a huge thing. It allows us and helps us to continue uh, serving. And we had questions as to whether that uh, giving would continue solidly and strongly through the pandemic. It was just uncharted territories. And you have just stood with us so faithfully, not just in giving, but in, in, in kind of caring. You know, we'll get notes uh, occasionally from especially your, your pastoral team and just so thankful that as we have gone and been there, we really feel like we're there as an extension of you. And uh, in fact, I almost forgot to say this, but we didn't just come a couple years ago uh, and share. I, my parents were missionaries and I used to come and visit the church. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers me from when I was a kid, a couple of you, but I, like I've been coming to this church off and on and sharing about uh, the ways that you have been extending the kingdom and impacting lives since I was a kid. And so it really does feel like home to be here. And uh, thank you for that hospitality of receiving us that way. So we're in Colombia. Um, and uh, before I get into hospitality, I just want to tell a little story uh, that took place here from about a month ago up in that little red-colored area of Colombia. So I discovered uh, when I was there that there are precious few things in life more annoying than Woody the Woodpecker laughing at full blast from a cell phone alarm at 4.50 in the morning. Like, can you picture that? I, I, anyone else there out there feel like that would just be incredibly annoying? This thing, when I say blasting, I really mean blasting. Like, I don't know if they engineered their phone to be like louder than normal or something that seemed that way at 4.50 a.m. And uh, under any normal circumstance, it would just be totally overkill. But uh, I almost don't blame them because Woody's cackle had to be audible over the chest thumping, wall rattling, window shaking, now, even though there weren't windows in the house, but music that had been pumping out of our next door neighbor's uh, oversized speakers for the last six hours. So it's 4.50 a.m., six hours of cumbia music. You can do the math. It had been a night without much sleep. And so I, uh, I was swiveling my feet out of this hammock, pulling the makeshift cotton wads out of my ear and kind of giving my sleep-starved brain a minute to gather itself. And, and I remembered uh, we were in this place called Nekokli, three days into a 10-day intensive church planting initiative that, that we called 10 by 10. And the reason is it's 10 leaders who spend 10 days doing what's in Luke 10, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Now, I was really groggy, and I hadn't slept, and Woody is laughing, and I'm annoyed, and the music is still going, but even in all of that kind of disorienting, uncomfortable situation, I was just also very grateful, um, because uh, this was really a long-awaited, much-prayed-for, several times postponed uh, prayer that was being answered right in front of our eyes, and I want to tell you what it was and what we were doing there. So I'm told this takes just a second. There we go, to advance. So we were in this one room, 12 other people in their hammocks, and they're getting out of their hammocks as I was, and rolling off their floor mats, and 
young and youngish leaders from uh, several churches in northern Colombia that, that are in the process of affiliating, of becoming part of the Free Methodist family. I have a picture of the team to show you. And these are the 10 leaders that we are working with. Also, uh, three of us are from the Free Methodist Church, and we were there as as trainers uh, to be able to teach people about the principles of Luke 10 and, and how to make disciples and how to plant churches. A couple of kids had jumped in this, uh, in this picture as well. Now, I have to uh, just confess to you that morning that I was, I was really excited to be with them and I was just overjoyed. It felt like God's presence was near and his faithfulness was incredibly real. Uh, but I was also really wanting some coffee at this time in the morning. Now, uh, people, the, the music went off next door, praise Jesus, and uh, Woody stopped laughing, also praise Jesus. And at 5 a.m., people got down to business for our first prayer session of the day. And I just have to tell you, as that started, I realized that I just, I function better, I pray better, I do just about everything better with a little bit of coffee in my system. Do I hear an amen out there? Anyone else out? Right? Or like coffee or sleep, ideally a little bit of both. But our team here, like this just didn't bother them at all. They just got down to praising the Lord and, and worshiping. And I think I know a little bit of why. Some of it is they're just habituated to early prayer and frequent fasting. Like a little glimpse into the, the, the church culture, these churches that are affiliating, have the custom of beginning every year with 13 days of 24-7 prayer and fasting at the church. They literally all go to their churches and don't leave. They take their whole family. They don't leave for 13 days, and, and they don't eat, and they're just fasting, and they're praying, and people come from the community, and they're praying for miracles. It's, it's an incredible thing. It's like a two-week-long spiritual lock-in for the whole family. And so they're, uh, they're just very, this is a part of their lifeblood, of their, of their DNA, a prayer and fasting. And, and I was very aware as we started praying there at 5 a.m. that, you know, I'm there to train them. And yet at the same time, the Lord has a lot to teach me. A lot to teach maybe all of us. Now, I want to come back to Nekokli and this 10 by 10 and, and what God uh, did there and is doing there and how you might uh, continue to be a part of these kinds of things. But I, I don't want to go any further without jumping into our, our text for today and looking at hospitality. But, but hang with me because all of, all of what we're going to talk about connects here at the end. Uh, so we're going to go to John 12 and I want to just read to you a little bit. This is a uh, uh, this is the, well, let me just read it, and then we'll unpack it. I'll, I'll do one slide and, and talk about it, and then we'll go to the rest. If you want to follow along, you're welcome to do that. Um, we're going to read out of, I think this is the NIV translation. So John 12, it says, six days before the Passover. Uh, just to put that in context, this isn't any, just any Passover. This is the Passover, right, when the Lamb of God is slain for the sins of the world. The, the, the Passover, when Jesus is crucified and, and then uh, later resurrected, it's the uh, six days before the Passover would have placed it probably on the Saturday before the triumphal entry, one day before Jesus walks into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. 
Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Now, before we go on, let me just, let me just say, I see an incredible act of hospitality already unfolding in this, uh, in this passage. And, um, and it's what Martha is doing. So there are a couple ways of, of going about like wrapping our minds around what hospitality is and what it looks like. Um, you know, I saw your, your mission statement as I came in or your vision statement, you know, live out love. And I thought that's a perfect definition of hospitality. It's love lived out. That's what it is. Or maybe put a different way, it's, it's generosity from uh, on your own turf towards someone else. But it's certainly maybe a better way of even understanding what hospitality is, is to look at an example of it. And I see when Martha is serving here, she has this dinner. It's this extraordinary act of hospitality for Jesus because as we look into what's happening that week, we realize Martha isn't just hosting them for a one-time dinner. Her home, their home, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, becomes his HQ, his center of operations for the rest of this Passion Week. It's the place that Jesus and his disciples are going to leave every morning as they go into Jerusalem and the place they're going to come back to in the evening. They have this, and we don't know how big his entourage is. I don't know how many people were traveling with Jesus. I don't know how many mouths Martha is feeding on this particular occasion and later on through the week. I just got thinking, like, any of you grandparents that you have kids and your, and your grandkids and, and nieces and nephews, have you ever had, like, a big family gathering at your house, anyone? Like, have, how big is the pile of shoes outside your, your front door when everyone's over? Now, I want you to stop and think, how big would the pile of sandals have been outside of Martha's door this whole week? You know, this is... This is an extraordinary act of hospitality on, on Martha's part uh, as she is serving, as she is preparing, as she is caring for, like how many favors would she have called in over this whole week? You know, I, I've got extra people. I need mats. I need you to lend me a bed. I need, I need to get some extra linens for people and and, and how, ma- how many people would she have asked to come help her prepare food and just get everything ready? Do you have a Martha in this church or maybe several Marthas that are just always busy taking care of and serving people all the time? Anyone like that in this church? I'm guessing there are a few of you, right? Because uh, some of us really show hospitality well in that kind of, uh, in that kind of expression. And Martha, we see as this person, not only here, but earlier in, in, uh, in the story, right, uh, in, in Luke, actually, she's serving another time at Jesus. So she's this incredible expression of hospitality in this instance. And we're going to come back to her, but let me just keep reading. But then it says that Mary took about a pint of pure nard. And this is an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Don't you just love that description there of what's going on as she is anointing Jesus' feet? But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected and said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. I'm going to go ahead and stop there and just pause really quick and say, 
So this is the second expression of incredible hospitality, of extraordinary hospitality. Uh, I may read a little bit more, but I want to tell you a little bit about why this is so extraordinary. So uh, what Mary is doing here, let me just say, anointing someone was uh, something that happened culturally with some kind of frequency. It wasn't some crazy, weird, out-of-nowhere expression that Mary is uh, entering into as she anoints Jesus' feet. What really sets this apart, though, is the, the lavish luxuriousness, the over-the-top gesture that it was to use a pint of pure nard. And I want to tell you a little bit of why. So this is, uh, as I was researching it, this is like a, a, a sketch of a nard plant, or spike nard is really what it goes by most of the time. And the, the part of the plant that they use, actually, you can still do this. If you got, you can buy doTERRA. I'm sure Young Living and other essential oils sell this stuff. It's still expensive. But the essential oil of nard comes from the root of this plant. And what makes it really, really uh, hard to come by and, and, and just costly is the fact it's kind of like morel mushrooms. They don't grow just, you can't cultivate them. You have to go out and find them when they, they, they sort of are, uh, they just come into being in, in very specific sets of circumstances. So you, you can't cultivate them. And the only place that they grow is in the Himalayas. So when you start to think about, okay, how do you get a pint of essential oil from this hard-to-find plant that comes all the way from the Himalayas, you start to think about the whole process of what goes into that. And it would have had to come on, on supply chains and caravans from the far east. It would have come to centers of trade. And then finally it gets, uh, you know, it's just been transported and maybe it's been months or years since it was uh, harvested to the point that it gets sold. And Mary has bought not just a little bit of it, but this whole pint full of it. And we understand it was year, worth a year's wages, which is to say that in basic terms, like I don't really know how much people get paid these days anymore because it seems like at McDonald's they're paying like $15 an hour minimum wage. So I'm not sure what minimum wage is anymore and how much people are really earning. But let's just say ballpark, the cost of the perfume that she's pouring out on Jesus' feet would be somewhere between thirty dollars to $40,000 all in one shot. Can you just imagine the reaction of people who are looking over? Like anointing someone probably wouldn't made, have made people's jaws drop. But the fact that this, this woman is pouring out what ounce for ounce today would amount to twice the value of liquid molten gold. And she's pouring out a pint of it. It would have weighed a pound. It's just, it's over the top incredible, jaw-dropping, luxurious, generous hospitality being expressed to Jesus in this case. Now, I am blown away by this. It's the, it's the Tiffany diamond of, of gestures. It's the gold standard of acts of love lived out. And Mary is showing that in this incredible act of extraordinary hospitality. We see extravagant hospitality two times in this one passage. First, from Martha, who's offering up her home as the base of operation for Jesus and his crew, and then from Mary as she loves Jesus and prepares. Now, I want to say it's more than just loving Jesus. It's more than just this lavish 
uh, act of care for him. You know, the other thing is he, he makes, um, in the passage that I skipped over, he makes explicit reference to the fact that he understood that she is preparing, she is honoring him on this day of his burial or in preparation for his burial. And I just, I got thinking as I was reflecting on this passage over the last couple of weeks, like I wonder how long that smell that filled the whole house with its fragrance, I wonder how long it clung to Jesus' skin. You know, the next day he's, he's walking into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, and, and I'm sure that he would have caught whiffs of this expensive perfume you know, on him as he's going into Jerusalem. I got wondering, I wonder if it was some small comfort to him, even in the ordeal of the painfulness of that week. Could it be that Jesus smelled it while he was on the cross even? You know, what an act of love to give the very best of the best. Could it be that it still clung to the pores of his skin as he was risen from the dead? You know, it's just an incredible, mind-boggling act of extravagant hospitality. What I want to pause here is say, I, I am guessing that as you have talked about the table over these last few weeks, and as you've talked about hospitality, my guess is that somewhere someone has probably said, firstly, you know, God offers us this seat at the table. There is hospitality which comes from him. And that is incredibly true. My guess is also that someone at some point has said, and he calls us, as Hebrews 13 talks about, you know, to offer hospitality to others because you and I have the opportunity, the gift, the privilege, and the responsibility of being people who follow Christ and show hospitality to others. And I would say amen and praise the Lord. That is also true. But here's the thing I want to focus on today. I want to focus on this question of who were Martha and Mary and what does their act of hospitality have to teach us today? Who were they, right? Where do they come from? So, so this, uh, in this moment of John 12, we see uh, the third act of three instances where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus show up. Now, obviously, um, they made reference here to the raising of Lazarus, which happens uh, in John 11. And, and probably this dinner in honor of Jesus is kind of like a thank you uh, to Jesus for what's happened the chapter before. Like, what would you do if Jesus had raised a loved one from the dead? I don't think that there would be any expense too great or any gesture too grand, you would just be so overwhelmed with, with thankfulness, right, that, that it sort of makes more sense. These are people whose lives had been profoundly impacted by the Messiah. So there's this extraordinary gratitude and, and hospitality that flows out of it. That's the second act is the raising of Lazarus. So you're hanging with me, right? The third act is what we just read, Martha and Mary, uh, hospitality, the anointing of his feet. The second act, the chapter before, is, uh, is the raising of Lazarus. But where's the first act? Where do they first show up in Scripture? And where did they come from? Who really were they? This is the part that's most gripped my imagination over these last couple of weeks. And the thing I didn't even realize until I started just preparing for this is where they show up in the timeline of Jesus' ministry and the first act, the place they enter the scriptural narrative, is in Luke 10. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute, you already talked about Luke 10. Exactly. 
That's the connection. They show up in Luke 10. Well, what happened in Luke 10? Let me just, let me just remind you a little bit here. Luke 10 is this, it's probably the chapter that has most changed my whole perspective of ministry, uh, maybe ever. And it's something I've been just uh, soaking in over the last few years. It's, it's the basic building block of, of our whole church planting ministry efforts, not just in Colombia, but in all of Latin America in the Free Methodist Church. It's the reason we were in Necoclí and listening to Woody the Woodpecker at 4.50 a.m. and investing in leaders and, and modeling and training for them how to make disciples. And Luke 10 basically starts off where Jesus is sending out the 72, let me give you a little context, he's taking his ministry to the next level, he's moving outward in the impact and in the extent and in the impact of the people whose lives he's touching, and what he's going to do in Luke 10 is he's going to send his, uh, his 72 out to every place that he's about to go and visit, spoiler alert, maybe Bethany was included, he's going to send them out to every place. And he's sending them out and he's giving them instructions. Uh, but the instructions start with three basic principles, which I, I want to just put up here. The first one is this. The harvest is plentiful. Anyone out there believe that's still true today? Uh, I saw a couple of people half convinced. Anyone out there believe that might still be true today? The harvest. What if the harvest is still plentiful in Ypsilanti? <laughs> today, like a lot of stuff changes, right? We were here three years ago. A lot's changed since then. To start with, a global pandemic. Also, mom jeans are back in style. Who knew? Right? A lot of stuff changed. Went to the mall the other day. I was like, wow, we have been away from the States a while. Okay. Nikki wanted to buy some. I said, no. <laughs> lots of stuff changed. Some things don't. One thing that has not, and I'm convinced will never change till Christ returns, is the harvest will always be plentiful. We're not talking about corn here. This isn't green beans. This is people, right? This is people who God dearly loves, who the Spirit so relentlessly pursues because they are that lost sheep who have wandered away from him. And I don't care if it's Colombia or Beijing or Ypsilanti. I don't care if it's the first century or the 21st century. The Spirit relentlessly pursues people that he dearly made who bear his image and are yet far from him. This is a universal truth. And the Spirit pursues them through the work of provenient grace such that I don't care when it is or where it is, there are people all around us who are one step, one relationship, one conversation sometimes away from opening their lives up to a transformational new beginning with Christ. Like this is just a truth that I, I hope, I long, I, I would just be... I would, I would plead with you to take and to hold on to today. Maybe if you hear nothing else, hear this. The harvest is plentiful. Right? That's how Luke 10 starts. But then it says, and, and this is also something that doesn't change, the workers are few. The workers are few. There's a lot of harvest out there, but, but there aren't enough people to go out into the harvest. And let me just parenthetically say, I've been... Uh, challenged and, and I, I would say I've grieved in my spirit a statistic that I heard a few years ago, which is this, 98% of Christ followers around the world from all denominations in their lives will not even make one disciple. 
Does that, does that just grieve your, your heart? 98%, like Jesus said, go and make disciples, right? This is, this is the first thing that he says in, in, in Matthew is come follow me and fish for people. The last thing he says to his disciples is go and make disciples. It's the bookends, the beginning and the end of what he wants for us, and 98% of us will never do it. To me, that's a problem. We're going to watch soccer at 5 p.m. The U.S. is playing Canada in the Gold Cup. And I don't know about you, but I expect that more than uh, one or two players are going to stand up and play soccer. I expect for the whole team to be out there kicking the ball around and trying to score a goal. And I, you know what? I don't think it's crazy to expect the entire body of Christ to be actively engaged in the process of making disciples. right? But Jesus says, just as now, it was true then, the workers are few. He says, this is the bad news, but there's a solution. Luke 10, he says, uh, so pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the fields, right? So there's this whole idea of praying. And I think the subtext here is, yeah, pray for others to be sent out. But as you pray, be open to the possibility that the Spirit may start by sending you. Okay, so that was all freebies. These are like these three principles at the beginning of Luke 10. But then here's, here's where it gets really interesting. Luke, Jesus says to the disciples, you're going to go out. The harvest is plentiful. Uh, the workers are few. Pray for workers. Now, as you go, go two by two. Okay, hang with me. This is, this is where everything comes together. And he says, you're going to look for people that we call people of peace. Now, these people of peace are going to have three things that are true about them. They're going to be influential. Um, but here's, here's what's key. They are going to be receptive to the message and hospitable to the messenger. Okay, people of peace. And how do we know that? Where am I getting that from Luke 10? He's going to say, because he says, you're going to stay at their house. Don't go from house to house. Stay at one house. Eat and drink what they offer you. You're going to receive what they have. Now, I've heard, I've heard some church planners tell stories from around the world that have absolutely changed my understanding of, of how we find people who are hungry for Jesus. And what they have said is this. You know why Jesus told his 72 and Luke 10 to go out and you're going to leave your purse and your sandals? You're not going to take money and you're not going to take all these provisions. Why? Because you need to go needy enough that you can give people the chance to be hospitable to you. Why? Because you're going to filter out who's hungry for Jesus by how hospitable they are. Now, what's really interesting to this in this is that I actually don't just see this in Luke 10. When we talk about hospitality, I see this as a disciple-making strategy that Jesus uses at the very beginning of, of relating to people. What's he do with the woman at the well? First thing, he asks her for a drink. He gives her the chance to be hospitable to him. That's his entrance strategy. That's, his, that's the way that he connects. How does he connect with, with Matthew, uh, Levi, or Zacchaeus? Very first thing he does is he says, I'm going to go and be a guest at your house. So get some food ready for me. What's he doing? He's filtering how receptive they are to him. He's beginning this, this relationship to them by giving them the chance to be hospitable to him. Now you're saying, wait, hold on a minute. I thought we as the body of Christ are supposed to be hospitable. Yes. But guess what? 
people who aren't yet Christians, uh, but are people in whom the Spirit of God is at work, and this, this harvest is plentiful, and there are people who are going to show peace to us, often the best way to find them is to give them the chance to be hospitable to you as you're taking the message to them. I've told people half-jokingly, if you want to find people of peace, intentionally break down in front of their house and see what they do. You want to find people of peace? Ask people for directions and see if they give you the time of day. You want to find people of peace? Go to Starbucks and ask the barista what his tattoo means and see if he looks you in the eye and takes, gives you the gift of the time that it takes to explain it. I'm trying to give you some practical examples. This is how we look for people of peace. Now, what in the world does that have to do with Martha and Mary? Why did we start with, with, Luke, uh, with John 12? Well, here's the thing. Do you know where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus show up? They show up just after Jesus gives these instructions. He says, you're going to go to every place I'm going to visit. You're going to look for people of peace. You're going to proclaim the gospel. You're going to pray for miracles. And then as they come back and they celebrate, and they said, even the demons flee and Jesus says, yes, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Then he goes to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus' house. It's the very next thing he does after telling the story of the Good Samaritan. The very next place he goes is to their house. And guess what? Martha is serving a meal just like she does in John 12. And guess what? Mary is sitting at his feet. They are showing these marks of hospitality. Now, I can't prove, I can't tell you that the Bible says explicitly Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were people of peace that two of the disciples ran into when Jesus sent them out. But that's exactly what I think happened. I think that they got this opportunity that they met people who were receptive to the message and hospitable to the messengers and that they enter the picture. So people of peace are not yet Christians, but people of hospitality. There are people who are willing to take care of the messenger and who are receptive to the message, and they're people of influence. They're the people that God is forming up, even from before they say yes to him, to be the laborers that are going to get sent back out into the fields. And that's exactly what we were doing in Nicocle, where the story started. Did you hang with me? That was the tricky part. I want to tell you that there are a lot of ways that you can partner with us in finding people of peace all around us. In Colombia, this is what we're doing. We are raising up leaders. We're training them to be able to go out into the harvest and to look for people who are hospitable, to look for people of peace who are receptive to the gospel. And there's so many ways that you can plug in with us uh, in, in helping to locate these kinds of people of peace. In fact, you are already doing that. If you are, if you are part of our, our prayer team, if, you are, if you're getting our newsletters, we know that you're praying. Even if you just take a few moments and you just lift us up in prayer, that is one of the ways that you partner with us. Now, if you're not on that, on that prayer team, if you're not receiving our weekly updates and you would like to, just put that on your Connect card this morning. I think that we can build on the partnership that we've had with Ipsy over these last few, few years. There are so many ways we could do that, incidentally. I would love to see, uh, and we've talked about this with Pastor Steve, a team come down and explore some ways you could connect. Maybe even that would be through a 10 by 10, one of our future 
church planting initiatives that we would just say, come send two or three people and embed with our Colombian leaders and we're going to spend these 10 days going out. We're going to train in the morning. We're going to go out. We're going to meet people and share the gospel and look for people of peace. There's so many ways. It might be a team. It might be a, it might be a giving connection that you want to, as a family or as, a, as, a, as an individual or as a small group, connect to and uh, if you just want to hear more or explore or toss around some ideas, just uh, put even your email address on the Connect card and put rollers and we'll write you and we'll figure some things out. But the thing is, as I was just preparing and thinking through and praying through what can we share with Ipsy related to hospitality, it's not just happening in Colombia. In fact, I just want to take these last couple of minutes to talk about the ways that people of peace, people of hospitality who aren't even yet Christians, but God is already working in, he may have put you in their path as that one conversation, that one relationship, helping them take that one step towards a life transformation with Christ. And I don't know about you, but as I drive through the streets of this city on the way to the church, as I look around and imagine in my spirit what's going on and the harvest is plentiful, I believe that there very well may be people of peace all around us all the time right here where we live. I get excited thinking about what could it look like for the church to live out, for each one of you to say, here am I, send me to help me to find the people of peace around me. You know, uh, I need to say that, I, in fact, I mentioned this when we were here last, but a lot of the church planting in Latin America is directly the result of this church's hospitality. Uh, some 30 years ago, there were some people in Ypsilanti who, in response to the pastor's uh, challenge, went out and offered a cup of tea to some neighbors they had who happened to be Venezuela. Long story summed up, this couple went back to Venezuela, was instrumental in the church being born, a church which has been more fruitful during the pandemic and during the years of unrest and turmoil that have plagued that country and have now planted some, I think it's 400 house churches or more in the last few years. All of that starts when one of you some 30 years ago offered a cup of tea. So what if there's some people around you that you could offer a cup of tea to today? What if there's some people around you who maybe might not even yet be Christians but are ready and poised to show hospitality to you and receptive to the gospel, people of influence? What if the Lord would tap you on the heart this day, this, this week, and, and maybe it's the, the person that, uh, that, that bags your groceries or the person that serves your coffee or the person that you work across from at your at your place of employment, but what if the Lord is, is calling on you and saying, okay, that's great, that's happened in Columbia, but I want you to be someone who is intentional about searching for people of peace. I think we're at our time, but I'm just, I just want to throw in one quick story here to wrap up. This story is something that happened to me uh, in Michigan when I was a high schooler, so a long time ago. I was a senior in high schooler in Spring Arbor. Uh, my family had come back from the mission field, and I just spent that last year. And there was this kid in school. His name was Gabe. 
And Gabe was the scary kid in school, a gothic kind of kid dressed in black from head to toe, safety pin through his ear, chains dangling, just uh, crazy hair. And uh, the kid scared me so much so that when he would walk down the hallway, I would look for another way to get to class. Now, you know maybe a little bit about Spring Arbor, but there's a big church, lots of kids from youth group in that school. We were all around 30, 40 kids from youth group. Everyone knew about our church. Um, but knowing that, I just want to tell you that I was so scared of Gabe. I, I never had any kind of conversation with him until I got paired with him, of all people, in driver's training class. So here Gabe and I are sitting next to each other. I'll tell you, I got more scared of him than ever for a while. So we had a couple of near-death experiences, and there's nothing like that to bring people together, right? So all of a sudden, I started seeing Gabe not just as a scary goth kid, but as, but as a dearly beloved person who bore God's image, who God loved desperately. And, and in one of those almost crashing moments, I guess, I don't know what came over me. I did this crazy thing. I looked at Gabe, and I said, Gabe... Would you like to go to youth group with me tonight? And I'll never forget it because Gabe looked over at me and he said this. He said, you have no idea how long I've waited for someone to invite me to that church. Gabe was the first one that got to youth group that night. He was the first one at the altar and his tears drenched the altar. I never knew exactly what became of Gabe. Gabe. But I do know this. Sometimes those people of peace are the ones that are right around us and the ones that we're least likely to guess that God is already at work in. Could you stand and we're going to pray? Heavenly Father, I, uh, I am challenged anew as we're here with friends uh, ipsy free I'm challenged anew to be intentional about living out love to be that bridge that agent of hope to the people around us and, and we're privileged and thrilled to be about that in Colombia and we're excited about the leaders that we're, that we're training and raising up to plant new churches like the ones in Nicocle and around the country and we're we're so thrilled for that, and, and we're grateful for the way this church reaches out all the way to Colombia and South America and around the world. But right here and right now in this space, I, I just want to be very specific, and I want to pray. If the harvest is plentiful, if there are Marthas and Marys and Lazaruses and Gabes around us, would you give us the courage would you give us the obedience? Would you give us the backing of the Holy Spirit? Would you give us this supernatural, spirit-led uh, blessing and backing to be able to go to them, mm -hmm. to be able to offer them the chance of hospitality to us, to filter out for people receptive, and then, and then, would you work such in their lives that we would have the privilege of seeing new brothers and sisters come to Christ. I pray that you would help us to live sent lives. Mm. Lives of love lived out. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.